0: Hi, welcome to NDE TV. I'm Peggy Robinson. Today's guest is Peter Anthony, and I would love for him to start out telling us his amazing NBC background. I, th- I find that fascinating.
1: Uh, my, it was actually my CBS background. CBS, okay. Yes. <laughs> um, gosh, where do I begin? I, I think I was. Uh, I guess it was in the in the mid '80s. I I did an interview as. Uh, uh, for an intern position with CBS uh, in Dallas, not knowing that was gonna lead to, uh, to uh, NBC and, and, excuse me, and, and uh, New York City with Dan Rather. And so I ended up doing an interview which lasted six months. I ended up getting it. Um, and I very quickly rose from this little nobody uh, to working with so many different senators and congressmen Uh, movie stars, television stars, all throughout the world as a a VIP uh, freelance image consultant. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that kind of launched my career. Now, prior to that, um, and I have to kind of add this because there's so much change of oftentimes when you interview people who've had near-earth experiences, there are these major changes that takes place within our, uh, I guess, our spiritual DNA as well as our physical. And for me... uh, I was extremely shy, introverted. I had a slight speech impediment, um, extremely self-confident about that. So the idea of speaking to groups of people or even doing an interview like this was always riddled with so much fear. Um, an amazing artist, I got an art scholarship so I could paint, sculpt, uh, you know, draw, build, anything. My desire at the time uh, before CBS was to become a special effects makeup artist. CBS was a kind of a shoe in to get into the union. And so I kind of succumbed to uh, taking the job at CBS, begrudgingly, and little did I know at that time that it would launch my career. So that was my beginning stages of CBS.
0: That's very cool.
1: Yeah, it was, it was looking back at it, that's been so many years, but that's actually where I started. So from that point on to where I am today, as I said, that was my, was my starting block. So I'm very grateful for that uh, phase in my life.
0: So how did that lead into a near-death experience? I was just listening to you a little bit ago. I think it was on Christy Salisbury. And it's like, wow, how you were treated.
1: Well, I, you know, I think the night of the near-death experience in itself was, and I write about this in my book, and I've said it in so many different interviews, was the perfect storm. I mean, it was raining outside. I had a wrap party, uh, and I was a special guest of, of this person that I, was a dear friend of mine. Um, and, um, and also our own particular rap party on a, on a project that I was working on. And it was my birthday, you know, so the perfect storm in terms of writing a book, you know, the lightning, the thunder, the rain, and of course uh, an event. And uh, during this, this birthday dinner, which I didn't know anything about, I, I doubled over in pain and I knew, I knew that I had let something go. I'd been misdiagnosed six months prior to my birthday And uh, they had uh, diagnosed me as having a stomach ulcer and were treating me with a uh, a drug called Tagamet. I didn't know that I had Crohn's disease. I didn't know that I had tuberculosis. Um, And that night, I I guess I had just been over in the bathroom and I remember uh, passing out and hitting my head, came to, and I thought I was okay. And I got out of this party, left early. uh, And I had a friend, uh, when I got to my condo, I had a friend I called a friend and had him come take me to to the hospital. And silly me, um, I thought you know, getting out of my suit and my tie and my and my my uniform, my CBS uniform, would be the perfect thing. And and when I got to the hospital, so instead I got into some thrift clothes. I was going to donate to the Salvation Army, and that became a nightmare in itself because when I got to the hospital, uh, they thought I was homeless. Um, I didn't have any of my, my, my insurance papers with me. Uh, the friend that I had to take me to the hospital really wasn't that good of a friend. It was kind of a neighbor and didn't know me very well. And if it hadn't been for him, I don't know how I would have gotten the hospital because he kind of threw this fit of checking me in again. They thought I was, uh, they thought I was gay. They thought I was homeless. Uh, and they thought I had had AIDS because it was back during the middle Ages eighties in the high, height of the AIDS epidemic. So it had three strikes against me. And of course, in these thrift clothes. So it didn't help the evening by any chance. So, you know, but it was a valuable lesson for all of you listening to this, because, you know, for me looking back at it and for so many of us who've been prejudged of the way we look, you know, uh, or, or you know, an example like what we're going through right now with COVID. I mean, uh, it's just something for us to take a look at and understand that even back then and, and to this day, whenever there's something like a pandemic going on, we tend to judge. And part of my near-death experience of that, and looking down at my near-death experience during this tunnel, was letting go of judgment.
0: Because really, some think about it, they're treating unvaccinated almost like AIDS patients back in the 80s. Well, not only that,
1: but (laughs) if you remember in 2009, the same thing happened with the Ebola plague. I mean, the people, the doctors and the nurses that were rushing in to assist, you know, were being, you know, ostracized and, you know, and targeted. Uh, and, you know, I think, you know, and I, I have to say this for all those first responders and, and the nurses and the doctors and those people in the, in the OR and the ER, I mean, their jobs, oh my God. I mean, I know that night when I was in there, it, it, it in itself was, I mean, I could write a whole book about what happened that night at the, you know, at the OR and in the ER because it was just, it was a, it was a full moon you know added on to this perfect storm so and like so many different full moons in the OR and the ER it was just a a disorganized uh organized confusion so uh, I I witnessed firsthand you know what these these amazing first responders and these nurses and doctors go through it's it's so my hat goes off to these people
0: yeah they're human too
1: well yes we're, we're all human but I think the most important thing is you know what I learned and what I'm trying to say is we are so quick to judge so many different people if it doesn't fit in with our if, with our own opinion or our view viewpoints. So the point I make here is we need to let that go.
0: So you ended up in surgery?
1: Well, once we got past the drama of, of the admitting clerk and uh, and got into the uh, into the ER uh, part two of the drama began um, again at the time, they thought I was in the, the final stages of the AIDS uh, virus. And um, back then we didn't know how it was spread. We didn't know if it was airborne, we didn't know if it was through blood. Here I am bleeding on a gurney. Uh, uh, I'm in, you know, thrift clothes. And I mean, this nurse found me uh, because the, the young intern who was to take me to the ER, um, again, back then people thought that you could just get AIDS by just being in the presence or near that person because it was airborne. And uh, he basically just reeled me into a corner and left me there. And so I must have been bleeding there for about an hour and a half until a nurse found me. And at that stage of of the game, it was just, it was too, it was credible, it was too late. But uh, she brought me to the ER. She tried to convince the anesthesiologist and other nurses. uh, And this wasn't even her floor. To go ahead and to check me in and get me into uh, into the OR and go into to medical protocol. So this nurse who I'm friends with to this day and her daughter, uh, if it hadn't been for, for for Nurse Sullivan, I I would not be here because she, you know, went to the umpth degree of taking care of me as 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 my savior of the evening. So yes, I was finally admitted into the OR because of of of, of Sullivan, and uh, and that's when part three of this act began. I, uh, I remember when they got me into the, uh, into the OR and uh, I remember they flipped me over because the IVs were not, you know, going into my veins. I had lost so much blood throughout the many months of being misdiagnosed uh, and constantly bleeding for the last six months that by the time I got into the OR, I mean, the IVs just weren't, weren't staying. So they pulled me on my side. I have no idea what happened at that point. I just remember he, the, the anesthesiologist said, this is gonna hurt and I, everything just went black. It was almost like this snap. I could see this snap and sound became soundless. And then the, and within seconds, um, I could see Peter Anthony in spirit form. And at the time I didn't know that was called spirit form. But at that time I'm looking down from spirit, looking down at Peter Anthony in physical form and I could hear the doctors and the nurses going into medical protocol, and the fear and the worry of trying to rush to save my life. Meanwhile, hovering above my operating table, I could see this tunnel. Uh, it's almost like in a movie just began to come out of you know out of you know out of stage left or stage right, circling above a, a large clock, and it was just a spiraling hole. And of course, me, physical form. Uh, at that time, it was just, I was lifeless, but Peter Anthony in spirit form could feel this as though something had attached itself to my solar plexus, meaning in spirit form. And as I was being vacuumed into this, uh, into this rotating tunnel, I call it the bullseye, I could feel myself leaving. And before going into that tunnel, uh, on either side of the tunnel were family members, friends uh, that I had passed. And the most interesting thing about this, and I'm writing about this in my second book, and at the time, throughout many years, I've, I've gone to, uh, to differences with, uh, with so many people who've had near-death experiences. There were people from my past lives that were there greeting me, that I knew instantly, that I recognized, that I uh, knew from heart to heart that these were very powerful people waiting on me and, and encouraged me to come through, as well as other friends and family members that had passed. So, that, that whole feeling uh, of welcome was, w- was phenomenal.
0: You so had I the think, whole tribe well, there. Well, it was the
1: tribe. And I think what's interesting about this, before I got into the OR, and I want to highlight this because it's very important, um, because this takes us into angels in the OR and uh, you know in parks and just all over the place. While I was sitting to go into or lying in my gurney, I should say, bleeding to death, dying, um, there was this African-American woman who was sitting in, in uh, uh, while she was lying down on a gurney as, as, as was I, and I remember looking at her, and again, I'm in and out of consciousness, but I remember looking at her and everything went into still, like this pause, And her eyes were just these piercing, you know, Paul Newman blue eyes just staring into me as though she was just reading my every thought, my soul. And I remember she grabbed my hand and she said, "'Don't be afraid to go into the light.' And I remember they got me from the hallway and were wheeling me into the OR and I looked over and she was gone. And so that moment for me began what I call the miraculous moments of recognizing angels that are all around us daily. And so back to the tunnel, um, as I was spinning through this tunnel, uh, and I'm I'm sure you've watched my other interviews, but what I was seeing were these mathematical equations and triple codes, uh, quantum physics, um, angel codes, that I, I didn't know what they were at the time but I was downloading all this information as though it made sense to me. I digested it like I was being downloaded, knew exactly what it was. Um, and not only wh- wh- was I, that I was seeing these codes, but I also knew exactly what they meant. And as that is happening around me and these colors and the sound uh, and these mathematical frequencies all around me spinning through this tunnel, uh, I began to download uh, what I call the collective consciousness. And what I mean by collective consciousness is that every thought that we put out to the universe is a vibrational frequency that is collected. And as we have these thoughts day in and day out, what it was teaching me is that our thoughts basically are very powerful. And to this day, I'm very conscious of what I think, uh, what I put out to the universe. Anytime I engage uh, in an argument, I'm aware, aware of, well aware of my, my conscious uh, words of how i'm communicating with an example like the american express uh agent or uh, uh the the pharmacist at CBS or wherever it might be when things aren't going in the direction that i would like them to go and so i always go back to that moment that everything we say and do is a part of our of our great movie and these people these doctors and nurses and the homeless people and and uh the uh the the ticket agents and uh Uh, The pharmacists, all these different people are part of our movie. They're nothing more than extras, you know. And if you think about the Lord of the Rings or the Titanic, you know, you know, without the the storming of the castles with no extras, the Lord of the Rings would not have its impact. Or if not for the people running up the side of the Titanic, trying to escape the the ship from sinking, it would not have that effect. So what I teach everyone in my classes and my lectures is that every person that is in your life at the moment, is a part of your movie for a reason. And as I'm spinning through this, I, uh, then I began to, to understand that we as a collective consciousness, um, what we put out to mother earth, we get back from mother earth. And I became very aware of an example of uh, people in, who held positions of power. And it's not that I was judging these people, um, these politicians and these senators and, and leaders throughout the world, but what I've learned is that we were so eager to put people in power who were so eager to take our power away from us. And we did it because we didn't care, we were apathetic, we didn't uh, research, We we, we just did it because. And everything that we do on this planet, every step that we take has an effect. So thus cause and effect. So if you're not voting, it has an effect. Not that you're here to vote and it counts up in the heavens above, it's about where you are in your consciousness. And where your heart is there is no right or wrong it's what you're doing that contributes to the shift of the betterment of the planet and that's what it that was for me so as i was watching pharmaceutical companies you know turning their cheeks and you know creating you know medicines that cured one disease and created three other diseases i became conscious of, of the things that were happening on the planet that i felt that weren't done out of hate but we're done out of greed or or fear for that matter, fear of losing money. And I'm talking about the highest levels. So for me, again, I became aware of our environment. I became aware of the food that I put in my body. I became aware of the animal kingdom because for me, it was one of the greatest impact moments was looking down as I'm spinning through this tunnel and seeing what we as a collective consciousness, not only what we are doing with the dogs and cats, but horses, uh, uh, the dolphin. I mean, I could just go down the list of the of the cruelty to animals. Again, no judgment on my part, but awareness of everything on this planet is connected to Source, and they, meaning the animals, have just as much right to be here as we do. And so, when you go back or come back with this information, at least for myself, I come back um, with the need to be of assistance. How may I be of service? So, as I'm spinning through this tunnel, and like so many of us, the end result of going through that tunnel was the life review. And that in itself, you could ask any question you want about the life review. So, I'll hand the baton over to you.
0: About the life review? Mm hmm. I mean, you want me to talk about the life review? I mean, Well, I mean, did you have a life
1: review in your experience? I mean, many of you know, I
0: did. I, my, my second NDE, I was showing God my life, not him showing me. I was showing him all the abuses I ever had. And they were real fast. Like somebody took a record player and put it on the high speed and it was going real fast. And then it just like. I was screaming it too and it come out like this invisible vomit like all these words like screaming is and it just like dissipated it's like just i guess it just like showed me you don't have to keep going it's out it's over with i understand i get it mm-hmm. you know like here i had to say well this happened this happened this happened you know but it's like we get it it was like i already showed them like
1: well you know, yeah move on. I, I think for me everything went from zero to 60. And when we talk about the life of when you talk about the, the you know the, uh, the the record player for me it was like a, a dvd player i mean it was like just you know fast speed your your life on a dvd player and you're seeing every moment but again going back to that being consciously aware of every deed every thought every action every non-reaction every you know every moment in my life was recorded like there was a, re- a matrix and Peter Anthony was responsible for all these actions. Again, no judgment, but just the awareness of, I think what I gather from this, and I still to this day, you know, when I do these lectures and I, and I do interviews, I go back to that moment of looking down with no judgment, meaning, mm-hmm. oh, Peter Anthony, what a, you know, what a bad person you where you should not have done that. But rather, I think I come to the table with, we all can do better. And every moment of our life, when I get up, when I go to bed, it's about again, what can I do on this planet to be a better person? If it's just having a wonderful conversation with a person, or a stranger, then that little nugget of compassion, or or or, or 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 even just a conversation that can change their life. And so again, I come, you know, every day with this amazing, you know, feel of gratitude because, you know, what people don't realize. Back in the 80s, you know, during the AIDS epidemic and the social profile that was taking place, the aftereffects of my near-earth experience were just as dramatic. Um, you know, I think the medications, I don't know how you responded to medications, but I was hypersensitive to all medications. Um, you know, so all the high doses of prednisone and the pain pills, uh, uh, the the morphine, all these things just basically created, you know, more reaction reactions to, uh, to my to my well-being and I lost my sight I couldn't walk for several months uh, I stayed at 89 pounds for almost two years I had a staph infection they could not cure uh, again not seen so I became this this young man who was in great shape who ran every day did martial arts uh, I had a six-pack stomach I basically emaciated it down to 89 pounds and stayed there for quite some time Again, going back to something interesting, as I began to learn how to walk again, uh, it, you know, I could see people looking at me as though I was like the elephant man. But it was a great humbling experience because so, especially in today, we live in such a narcissistic society where every, every you know, selfie on Facebook is about body and it's about you know, beauty and it's about money, and it's about career. You know, we're kind of sending the wrong messages to, to collective consciousness where I try to post every day on Facebook, something that uplifts and something that resonates in the mind of of some form of healing. And so for me, and it's just me, I'm not saying everyone has to do this, but it's just my way of just, if one person understands what I'm posting on, on Facebook or any social media that inspires, And if that person needs that for that moment, you know, that moment of time and it helps to to whatever to heal them or to make them feel better about themselves, then we on many levels have contributed to the well-being of that person. So I'm very conscious of those things that I say and put out.
0: Was your experience all in the tunnel in the swirling? And is that where you saw everything?
1: Well, that's where I, I have phase one, phase two, phase three. So phase two was my life review. And again, from zero to 60 um so you know i could go hours and talk about my life review i i think some of the highlights that i've talked about so often was you know losing my sister uh, and i was in high school and um, uh, i was I had this peer pressure from my buddies and my sister and i were very close uh, we my brother's sister and i were put in in orphanage so it was just us so we were we were adopted by a family and, and um, you know, so for, for me, you know, trying to fit in with all my buddies and she came up to me and it was my birthday and she wanted me to say how much that I loved her and cared for her. And I was watching my buddies and I just wouldn't do it. And so that was the night that I lost my sister to a, a car accident, a drunk driver uh, uh, hit. She and her her friend, and she was killed instantly. And so the reason why I bring this up, because as I'm watching this, you know, I, I, I say to so many people, especially in my lectures, you know, don't go to bed angry. Don't, you know, we are afforded the opportunity to tell the people that we love every day how much we love them, even if we're not in the best place to say that. And so to this day, many of my friends know me. There's not a time that I don't in the phone conversation that I'm not saying I love you. And we all accept that a part of my new diet because that's important to me. I will never have that happen to me again where the person that's in front of me does not know that I'm not responding back by saying how much I love them. And so for me, I gather that as a part of my new way of thinking. Um, the other thing too, um, was my ego. Um, how my ego was so much out of line. You know, again, I was driven by success, I was driven by money. You know, I was driven to become a special effects maker I was driven by fame. All those things that I thought at the time were important. And I, I triggered back to uh, my final interview with CBS and I had gone six months of a grueling interview and I just knew I had it. Um, and I was going over the bridge uh, to downtown uh, to have my final interview with CBS. And I was listening to loud music. I rolled the windows down, I was chewing gum. I flipped the, uh, the, uh, the silver wrapper from the gum uh, into the river. And I remember me watching me do this and listening to music and just me, 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 and watching this rapper go into the river. And as I'm watching this rapper go into the river, other trash, you know, uh, uh, takey out baddies, you know, die coke, plastic cups, needles, litter, trash bags, all floating in the river. My one little action was being gathered by other people's one little action. And as I watched my rapper, as though I was looking through a zoom lens, and watching this wrapper collect with other trash and going down the river and going into lakes and going past the refineries that were there, they were spilling over their, their toxic chemicals into the lake and the rivers, going to the ocean. I am well aware that everything we do on this planet, every action that we take upon, you know, whether we think about it in or not, has, has the effect to affect someone else thousands of miles away. And so I'm very, because I'm very passionate about that. About how important it is for us at this stage of the game. Click, click, click. Warning, warning, warning. Our planet needs us now more than ever, and it was a warning sign back then. We're already at the the red empty on on the fuel gauge right now. We need to step in immediately and do something. But what happens oftentimes to go back to that? You know, those leaders and those politicians and you know city council. All this. It's not that they do it intentionally. It's that they're they are not evolved enough to understand that we're in a ticking time bomb. And so for us who've seen these things on the other side, it's not that it's critical, but again, it goes back to the animal kingdom. It goes back to the skies, it goes back to the land, it goes back to everything on this planet is served by one source and everything matters. And if we could all come in and understand that what we do, what we don't do, uh, our inaction, our our, uh, apathy uh, or our overactions, everything should be a balance point. And we should be mindful of everything that's going on in this planet, especially with our own actions.
0: Now, weren't you Sorry, agnostic I'm, before your experience? I was,
1: yes. I was agnostic before, um, I think, because I was born and raised Catholic. And by the time I got into my early 20s, I lost my entire family. I lost my sister. I lost my brother. Uh, I lost my father. I lost my grandparents. I mean, basically, I'm it. I have a stepbrother. That is, in, that's it. So for me, I thought at that time, you know, if there is a God, then how could God take all, especially my sister who was my best friend, how could, you know, this loving God, you know, take her out tragically, take my brother out. So I went from, you know, from zero to 180 degree turnaround to, to believing in nothing, just career, money, success. That was my God.
0: And now, I mean, after your experience,
1: you know what matters to me? Peace, daily. Every day I get up, I do a gratitude walk. Every night I do a gratitude bike ride. And it's about how may I be of service? What can I do today? Um, you know, I, I don't ask for anything. The money, it, it, it just seems to come. The interviews, I don't seek out interviews. They just find me somehow. Um, you know, I think the best thing that we can all do as as spiritually evolved um, beings on this planet is the gift of manifestation. And that gift of manifestation is, there is, should not be an attachment to it. But again, I go back to God is source, God, universe will take care of me. End of story. You know, the universe, God, these Ascended Masters, they know our hearts, they know our rent, they know our uh, medical conditions, uh, they know where we're lacking, they know where we're shining, all that. Like the universe, like the planets, like the trees, like mother nature, everything is in order. It's us that are not in order. So, I think for me, what I try to share is to get into a balance with oneself and just trust. And that's hard to do. To just trust? I trust. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just one thing I do. I trust that the source, the God, the, whatever you want to, whatever category you happen to believe in, I just believe, I call it God, will take care of me. I just trust that. I have, there's no doubt. And I allow. I don't try. I don't go out and do. I allow. I allow the universe to play its part.
0: I call it. I follow. I try to follow where led. Yes. I Try to be in the light enough where I can be open to kind of know where I'm supposed to go and mm-hmm. what I'm supposed to do. And...
1: Well, you you just trust it. You know. You you don't question it.
0: Right. And
1: I think that's what we do. There's you know. The other thing too, you know, what I put into my consciousness, what I put into my mouth, uh, the people that are in my life, all these things basically vibrate to my energy, and so, you know, I hear so oftentimes when I was doing all these book lectures, you know, my boyfriend this, and my girlfriend that, and my mom this, my boss this, we blame, 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 blame. Everything we do is 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 upon a choice, and you know, I say to so many men who come to my lectures, you know, especially when they're in doubt of career. You know, I always say, love what you do until what you love comes along. And so, you know, if you actually take, you know, daily, you know, little footsteps towards your passion, your authentic purpose, you know, the time will present itself when it's it's time for you to to take that leap forward and to, to go be a massage therapist or be a Reiki master or to be a numerologist and astrologer or to be a psychic detective. Those moments will come, but you have to do your homework. You just can't sit back and go, well, I want it now, and I'm not willing to do this, this, and this. Again, we put so many blocks in front of us that if you just allow the universe to come in, and the only way you can do that is to be at a place of peace, and how you get to peace is through gratitude.
0: Now, didn't you lose a speech impediment?
1: Well, yes, I lost my, you know, I think when I came back uh, from my, from my near-death experience, um... (sighs) I remember the first thing, you know, after I came back, number one, I came back a talker. (laughs) It was a big change for me. My friends were just like stunned because I came back. I couldn't stop talking. I was just people living just shut up Peter. All you do is talk, talk, talk. I was so excited (laughs) to come back and talk about what I saw on the other side. And I, you know, I came back and I, you know, I remember the doctors looking over my face, and, uh, and then, Mr. Anthony, are, are you okay? Are you there, Mr. I, you know, wake up, open up your eyes. I was in ICU for three and a half weeks. And I was unconscious for those three and a half weeks. And I remember I woke, I woke up and I was like, oh my God, blah, 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 blah. And I just, and I remember <laughs> the nurses and the doctors and the interns were looking at me like I was a nutcase. But I didn't care. I did not care. All I knew is what I saw on the other side. I felt like. Like, you know, like, um, I remember the first time I saw a dolphin in Santa Monica, uh, in California. And we had, it was like a holiday. I don't know if it was more a weekend or July 4th, one of those Labor Day, who knows what day it was. But I'd never seen a dolphin. And all, (laughs) and no judgment, just an observation. But all these beachgoers were sitting there on the beach, drinking their beer and the suntanning and, you know, conversations and smoking weed. I mean, it was just this one big fest of just... You know nothingness, and I remember this little boy came up to me and said, "There's a giant fish in the ocean." And he grabbed my, hand and I went down. And there were all these dolphin, you know, just swimming there. And I was just astounded. So all these kids come running down, and we're all holding hands. And I was jumping up and down with the kids, so excited to see a dolphin. And I remember turning around and said, "Look, everybody, there a dolphin." Not one person looked it was like all these jaded people like so what and i remember going back how unconscious that was but yet the innocent the pure of spirit those children were just so excited to see it and you know what that's how i'm about my near-death experience i'm this little child who just can't wait to share my story because you want to know something there's one person on this planet like myself who was, will be ostracized, their family won't support them, or their bosses won't support them, their coworkers won't support them or believe in them. And so there's so much information these days for those people who are tortured to tune in and to listen to a message and to go, we've got your back here. You know, don't worry about it. You know, hear my message, hear thousands of other near-death experiences message and find hope. Because that's what we're here to do. Think about I don't know where you, were, what, what age you were when you had your near-death experience, but back in the eighties and nineties, it was kind of hushed about. It wasn't spoken about. We didn't talk about it. You know, it was like we died. There was no NDE conversation going on. And well, my so, first one, I,
0: I was five, so it was nineteen sixty-six. So, well, okay. so of course, there's no you, such thing.
1: <laughs> so as you began to evolve with your with your uh, crossing over. I don't know where you were. I was in, you know, I was grew up in a small town and had small town, you know, friends, but, um, but they just didn't believe. So I learned to, to share my information with open ears. Um, And that's what I do this day. You know, I, I'm not here to preach and teach. Um, I I find my audience, they find me. And if they get it, hallelujah, I'm grateful.
0: Now you were on a bunch of TV shows, weren't you?
1: Yes, I was very lucky. I, I, part of, I think, the end result of my near-death experience, because of all these mathematical equations, these codes that I experienced under the side, I came back with this, this quest, this mission to understand math because I didn't understand why I'm seeing 1111 or 222 or 333 or 777. I began to see 8383. Quantum <laughs> physics, I began to see angelic codes that actually were, uh, which I've learned just recently, were manifestation codes healing codes, um, and so I began to study numerology, and I think so many of us who've had near-earth experiences when we're not welcome into the community as, as freely as we should be, you do what you should. I studied. I studied astrology, numerology, and I always say love what you do until what you love comes along. I got a phone call uh, from a homicide detective who was working on a, on a case that was rather odd. Um, it was a special effects... Uh, Makeup artist, uh, who when they went to the to the crime scene, found all these unusual codes there at the crime scene, and because I was so gifted, uh, one of the metaphysical bookstores had referred the homicide detective to me, and again that one moment in life changed everything. I went there on this on this homicide case, kind of a background. I spoke about uh, what I what I understood what these codes meant at the time, and I only had one homicide detective who believed in me. I was not treated well by the police, uh, certainly not by CSI. But um, because back then, you know, again, I was kind of considered a carnival act. So um, for me, I think the most important thing was he got it. And that led to sightings, and that led to the History Channel, that led to uh, uh, facts, uh, uh, you know, beyond facts or fiction, that led to so many different shows, I became a parallel investigator. And I used math as a way to solve crimes, and I used math as a way to solve hauntings. How? Well, everything is based on a mathematical principle. Principle. So, an example: if I showed up at thirteen hundred Geyer Street, one three zero zero means something. You know, if he died at that say, or she was murdered, or he was murdered uh, at twelve fifty. Again, I look at time of death. I look at the first responding officer, his birthday. Everything to me is a mathematical equation. So, yeah. from the moment I arrive, I'm doing math in my head, and it, it all. You know, as a numerologist, for me, math is an exact science. You know, one plus one equals two. It's not gonna equal 33. And so when you learn numerology, when you learn astrology, which is based on, you know, on on multiplication, division, and adding addition and subtraction, and then with numerology, everything's based upon adding numbers, all these numbers equate to something. And I've just learned to understand what these numbers represent. So strange
0: how everybody's experience. Seems geared just for them and it's so unique and different.
1: Well, what's so interesting about that, was here I was a very gifted artist. And the more and more I went towards my chosen field, didn't know at the time, because I kept all this very secret. No one knew, (laughs) even when I was a parallel investigator. I, I got caught in 2007. So from 1992 into 2007, I was still working my job in media. No one knew what I was doing. And in 2007, my boss came to me and she said, "You know, I, I need to ask you something because I was about to renew my contract." And she said, uh, "It's been reported to me that 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 you're on that you're a paranormal investigator and that you work on haunted uh, cases." And I wasn't going to lie, and I said, "Yes." Said, "Well, how long have you been doing this?" I said, "Well, since 1992." And she said, "When has this been going on?" I said, "Well." You know, I worked Monday through Friday and then on Friday night, I was on an airplane to someplace to some, some paranormal, you know, sighting. And I did it for many years. And so she wanted me to stop and wanted me to renew my contract. And so I said, you know what, I can't do that. So in 2007, I decided, you know what, you know, purpose found me. I thought I'm going to write a book. I'm going to talk about all these different things that took place in my life. And I moved back to California. Um, I moved to Palm Springs. I had no friends here. I had no job. And I said, okay, God, boom, I'm planting my seeds here. It was the best move in my entire life. Everything just opened up for me magically and I haven't stopped. So I'm very blessed, very grateful.
0: Isn't it amazing when you own up to your truth, to your true self and just go on faith and how things work out.
1: Well, I think the most important thing people say, well, that sounds good for you. Well, you you know what? The most important thing I learned was listen to the angels, listen to the ascended masters, listen to God speak to you. It will come through a song. It will come through a billboard. It will come through a conversation. If you go in every day as an open heart, the universe will, will provide source. My mantra is very simple. Provide the people, the places, and the situation. And my job is to show up without fear. So just think about it, you know, the place for me was Palm Springs. The situation was almost hitting a, a, a rental truck that was moving downtown Dallas. And I ran a red light because I was pondering about what to do. And as this big moving van uh, said, move to Palm Springs, 800, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I thought, oh, okay. And I thought, okay, God, so if you want me to move to Palm Springs then I need to sell my house. I put my house on the market the first day, person a you know, uh, uh, married couple drove by cash offer i mean within 30 days everything just came together that is how the universe works when you are in order with the universe yeah. and what happens when you're not in, in order with the universe things there are things called delays there are broken relationships you stay in a job that you don't like and you do it because of the money you know you stay in a relationship because well i you know i, I can't find anyone else that's going to love me those are wrong choices that's not coming from a place of higher consciousness that's coming from a lack Consciousness. I don't believe in myself, so I stay in this lack theory, and consequently, I receive the same thing over and over and over again—nothing. So I've learned to navigate within the guides of the, uh, or the, excuse me, the throes of the universe. Just trust, and I, as you said, I flow with it.
0: Yeah. I think the first time when I look back that I realized—I didn't realize then—but something from my journey had happened. Because my journey, I was five years old, but fifth grade, I was sitting there, staring out the window as usual, not paying attention. And our science teacher, Mr. Cooper, said, um, so talking about failure to thrive. And it got my attention like nothing ever had. And everybody else was still just as bored as I was. And I felt like I was in this time warp, that I was in this intense listening and watching everybody else still just bored, you know? I'm like, why aren't they listening to this? How can we let this happen? He was saying that um, babies in orphanages and old people in nursing homes can will themselves to die Mm -hmm. and that they could be perfectly medically taken care of, but without love, they don't want to continue living and they will will. And I could not believe that we could live in a world that would allow this to happen. And I wanted to stand on top of my desk and scream, What are we going to do about this? And, and like every fiber in me was vibrating and exploding. And, and I just, I, I, I didn't know why. I thought, I got to do something right now. And then I thought, Okay, calm down. You have to wait until you graduate high school or something. You can't do anything about this now. You're like 10 years old. And so we would moved somewhere else, and I became, and I heard I was in was 14. And I heard a friend say she was a candy striper. And I thought of the fair to thrive. And I says, take me there. I will learn how to do it. And I got my little uniform and I was a candy striper. But it was just one of those things that's like, and I look back and I'm like, I think that was the your death experience. Because, you know, during the drowning, I was shown I wasn't loved. And then right after the drowning, you know, I realized, you know, I'm, that that was true, <laughs> what I was told. And, and I was shown this little vision that night that somehow I, when I grew up, I was going to care about unloved children like me. And so then to hear of, you know, children in these orphanages, my heart just bled for them. And, and then, you know, I ended up adopting a lot and, you know, foster care, a bunch of kids and all this working in child protection. But so when I look back, it's just like all these puzzle pieces was being put together as my life went on.
1: Well, I understand that because what happened to me um, when I was under the sun was looking down and looking at the abuse of the dogs and cats. So I go to kill shelters and I rescue animals. Every animal I have rescued has come from a kill shelter or from the streets. And it's funny because I had a friend over from Los Angeles this past weekend and Every time someone comes and visits me, they fall in love with my animals. They want to. They, they offer me money. They want to buy my dog or my, my cat, because these animals I think are so. I don't use the word advanced, but what other way? What other word is there? They just are so different, and I think you know because their backgrounds were so tormented. I think like anything on this planet, children, animals, old people, uh, certainly orphans. Uh, plants anything where there's love where there's a frequency of love things will bloom and so there's a special connection that i have with the animal kingdom there's a special connection with orphans mm-hmm. i was an orphan you know there's a special connection with old people for me so i think that's just all issues just going back you know and looking down that 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 uh, what i thought was a rabbit hole many years ago was nothing more than a wonderful thread leading me to my life and so, as I said, so I look at this now and I'm very grateful um, just to be here, just to see, to be able to walk. You know, I think when your legs are taken away from you, we take that for granted. You know, th- they didn't know how long it was going be before I was gonna be able to walk again. Uh, and certainly my vision. So think about that. You know, so for me, every day, when I do my gratitude walk or do my gratitude bike ride, and I look at the mountains and I look at the stars and I look at the sky and I see the, the, the slither moon, I'm grateful that I can see that. And I'm grateful that I, I can't run anymore. I lost my, I was a wonderful runner. I ran six miles a day. I can't run to this day, but I can certainly bike ride. And I certainly can get on a, on a treadmill and, uh, and walk, but I'm grateful for that. So as I said, so you take what's been given to you and you do the very best that you can and you go forward. And I think so oftentimes, what I hear it and you know when I travel around the world people are afraid to move forward they're afraid to get out of the relationship they're afraid to leave their jobs they have they live in fear and so I think you know we me going back I had to learn to overcome my own fear you know I still stutter not like I used to um I <laughs> I started uh, on, a, on a radio interview uh one of my biggest in radio years, I got very nervous that night. And I started starting thought, Peter, psh, get back to focus. It's okay. And, um, you know, and then in the second half of the show, I, I you know, I, I, I found my inner peace and just delivered. But as I said, so all those things, you know, still plague us to this day, you know, my fear of not being able to, to speak correctly and go back to those moments where I can't say my S's. But, uh, I, but that's okay. You know, as I said, and if I make a mistake, then I make a mistake and I'm willing to, you know, to own up to it. And especially I think what's important today, and this is where I think we're lacking and it's my observation no judgment, but people are not willing to say how sorry or to apologize. And if you look at our political landscape, it's always about pointing fingers. And it's not about that. It's about, as I said, tick, 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 the tick and ticking time bomb, we've got to make some changes. And it's not just here in the USA, it's all around the planet. And I think for me, COVID was a great eye opener. And what it taught me, I don't know how you guys were here, but in California, I'm there, but how in California, we didn't know, no one knew. you know? What I noticed, what was so fascinating was our beaches were, there was no one there. There was no pollution. And I remember watching these teenagers on, on their rollerblades uh, and their skateboards on the 405 freeway and the 10 freeway. Now these, for anyone who's traveled to California, our freeways are massive. And there was no traffic. So you had all these kids on the freeways with their rollerblades and their skateboards looping. It was just amazing to watch. There there wasn't any trash on the beach. There weren't any uh, chemtrails. Uh, There were no planes flying over, if you recall. The earth had a moment to heal. And look where we are. So we're right back to the same old, same old. And the universe doesn't want us to do that. It wants us to change. And so if we don't change, it will change for us. So I'm mindful of that. So that's why I said, so my, my urgency uh, when I do these uh, podcasts and radio interviews is to remind people how important the gift of life is and how important the gift of breath is for all of us. It's important to me and should be important for all of us.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of people watch near death experiences and think, oh, I want to have a near death experience. It's like, (laughs) no. Eternity's forever. Life is short. You know, enjoy every minute you're here. Well, you know, I would say
1: this, and that's a very, I'm glad you brought this up. Well, we don't believe, or sorry, we believe that if we have a near death experience, that we just will suddenly evolve to this consciousness. I happen to believe the theory of reincarnation, I didn't before, but when I was on the other side, I saw my past lives. I saw what I did in other lifetimes. I saw myself as a failed writer because of the disease of alcoholism. So I came back and I thought, well, you've been given an opportunity in this lifetime to, to balance that and what you did not achieve in your last lifetime. And so I came back with this, this urgency to write. So we've all been given the gifts. I think for me, the most important thing is to use your gifts. We all have an authentic purpose, each and every one of us. And I think the greatest fear is people don't know what their authentic purpose is. And you won't find that out until you do a little soul searching. You know, I didn't know I was a writer, you know, meaning, you know, before I had this near experience, but there was this part of me that said, well, just, you know, I wrote a sentence and that sentence became a paragraph and paragraph became a page and a page became a chapter and a chapter became 13 chapters became a book. And the next thing you know, I'm traveling around the planet. That's an authentic purpose. When you when you zoom into your, to your, to your authentic purpose, the universe will help you along the way.
0: Mine just came in a vision one morning and I just, something clicked. I grabbed my laptop. I started writing. I, I didn't quit for three months and I never intended to publish, but I'm no more got it done. And someone said, well, I told someone about it. Well, send it to my publisher. You know, and it's just like, it took a life of its own. It's like once I did it, it's one thing happened after the other just to keep supporting it. Keep supporting Synchronicity. it. Synchronicity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I said. That's how the universe works. When you are in, uh, uh, when you are in line with the universe, things just magically just appear. Yes. The, again, the, I, I always say my mantra is very simple. Brought the people, the place, and the situation. And my job is to show up without fear. Period. And the right people always show up. The right interviews always show up. The publishers show up, the interviews show up, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the agents show up, all these people show up by allowing. You know, you just allow the universe to do its job. I have learned to get on the driver's seat and I've learned to get on the passenger seat and let God, universe, all these angels and masters guide me to where I'm going.
0: That's a good way of putting it.
1: Yeah, because they know. <laughs> yeah. We can get it caught up in the how. You know, how long is it going to take and who's it going to be and where am I supposed to be and how much money will it be and when's it going to happen? That's where we fail in consciousness. The who, what, why, how, and when. That is not coming from a place of higher consciousness. That's coming from a theory that's passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. You know, well, I was taught you need to be successful. You need to make money. You need to have the house and the picket fence. You need to have the children. All that information that was kind of brainwashed into my consciousness and you need to believe in God and if you and if you and if you do this you're going to hell and if you wear this you're going to hell i mean all these conditions and labels that were branded you know into my consciousness which kind of brought me to fear and when i was on the other side the conversation i had with god was anything but fear it was the most amazing experience of love and kindness and compassion and just understanding I remember that moment of peace for me was like sitting, you know, I, I again, like watching the dolphin. And I remember staying there that night at sunset, and my feet were in the, I was sitting at shore and, and my feet was being caressed by the ocean and just watching the horizon as the sun was going down, looking for the for that that any dolphin to come by. But that moment of peace, ah, how great that was. So multiply that by 10 million. And that's what it was for me, like on the other side.
0: We were talking one of these uh, podcasts the other day about um, like being an angel for somebody, you know, like paying for their lunch or you know whatever. And I said, if, if people haven't tried it, they need to try it because nothing feels better. Yeah. Than to have that self love of knowing yeah. I just did this for somebody and it feels so good.
1: Well. As I said, I'm here to be of service, and I thank you so very much for this interview. It's been a part of, of, of you know, I, I looked forward to it. We connected, uh, uh, you know, and it just it seemed right. So I, you know, thank you. I appreciate oh, it.
0: Thank you for coming on. When you first clicked on there. Uh, I thought this is so cool because she was like grow up close to camera and I thought this is better than an INS conference because this is better than front row seats because I got you to myself, you know, I can talk to you because like I was at a conference before and you talked and it's like, you know, you're sitting way back in the back and, you know, and you're, it's it's hard for me to engage like I have, I get um, distracted easily. And like, mm-hmm. if I go to a class, I got to sit up front and center. So I'm like, pay attention. I'll get distracted. It's like, this is so cool. <laughs> it's like, I just. Love that to you
1: should... Yeah. I, uh, you know, I like to sit in the back of the class and observe and watch energy.
0: See, I, I would just, not I know what they were saying or talking about though.
1: <laughs> well, I see with me, I just, that just is for me, even when I go out socially, um, no, I don't like my back to the window. I like everything open and free. I like the energy to flow. And uh, so I'm always looking around because I'm just fascinated by people and their interactions with one another. I just find it just absolutely thrilling to watch people engage with one another.
0: That's what I did I like in school when I didn't learn anything. I would just sit there and feel everybody's emotions. And I just taken it all in or staring out the window. I could not focus on that teacher for nothing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I think for many of us who've come back as an experience, we come back hypersensitive. I feel everything. You know, I, my, my taste is just is so acute. Uh, my sense of hearing. Uh, I have become back. I came back a light sleeper. I mean, I can hear the drop of a pen. Uh, I hear everything. Um, and again, when I go out into nature, oh, my God, I can literally just. People are amazed at what I can hear, the, the buzz of a hummingbird you know, I can hear the flutter of a a bird flying over me. It's like those noises, those beautiful sounds of mother nature are just magnified into my consciousness. I love it. So I I feel very blessed to have had that, that gift. And I think the other thing too, I've been, and I, you know, I often think about, you know if this is my last phase of life, which it seems to be meaning as we go towards that, those golden years, I've just been very blessed with an amazing career, amazing people, um, you know, just lucky. And I was lucky enough to find my purpose. And I think that helped me to find more peace because then I knew I was on chart, on course, to do something. And that's the greatest thing to know that you're doing something here that's worthwhile.
0: Yeah. But my second NDE when I was 25, I was told it was my time. I wanted to go back and raise my kids. And I was told no. And I hadn't heard anybody else say that. Everybody else says, I was told I had to go back. You know? <laughs> I was I given a, a choice.
1: I was given a choice. I was given a choice. Very important conversation here. Do you want to go back? The voice of God said to me, watching everything going on with my life review and watching where the planet was going and watching what we were doing to our planet. Do you want to go back? Do you want to go back? And I said, yes. And the reason why is because I saw myself traveling and I wasn't stuttering. I saw myself writing books and I thought, because my fear of speaking to going on, you know, and having a conversation with you, oh my God, it was so frightening. If you asked me something for me to respond back, I just, it was sweat. And so I think I've come back with this sense of just inner peace. Knowing that, as I said, I go back to knowing that we all have purpose and that we are here to find that and do whatever it is and don't give up. It's not going to happen in 15 minutes. You know, it's going to happen. Mine took seven years. And then <laughs> I got busted in 2007. So if you really want to add the time I had my near earth experience until 2007, that's how many years I, I, it kind of took me to say, you know what? This ain't working. I'm not going to sign my contract. You know, I'm going to go find me and do something for me and help the planet and be a part of that. And it just opened up. So to your listening audience, if that one little little passage I say to you gives you hope, go for it. Don't quit your job. You know, as I said, love what you do until we love comes along and it will guide you. So thank you so much, Peggy, for thank having me you. on your show. God bless. Thank
0: you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you.